before we start the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Hello, and welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. And I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love to talk to each other about pop culture, and we love talking to you about pop culture. And before we get into the show today, you might notice that the show sounds a teensy bit different than it normally does. We had technical difficulties and went from uh, our usual setup to some on-the-go field recording gear. So it sounds a little more gonzo than usual. Just go with it. It'll be fine. You're going to love it. Today on the podcast, we are welcoming a true polymath. You may know Amber Tamblin from her roles on General Hospital, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, or Joan of Arcadia, to name but a few. But at Bust Magazine, we know her as our beloved poetry editor, as well as a true pal who has helped us out on so many occasions when we needed star power to further our feminist agenda. She is always here for us, and we love her so much. And she's here today to talk about her debut novel, Any Man. Callie and I have both read it. We've both loved it. We want to dive in. We can't wait. Welcome, Amber. Hi. Hi, Emily. How are you? So good. So excited to talk to you. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. We are both complicit and complacent sometimes. Very nice of Beyonce to let her husband be on the album with her. You're a cultural warrior. We're building a plane as we're flying it. The premise of your novel, Any Man, is fascinating. It's polarizing. I think that it would probably be best if you explained it to our listeners who are not yet acquainted with your novel. Please tell them what it's about. So Any Man is... um, a novel which explores many different themes at once, um, in my opinion. Uh, they are um, multidimensional and complex, but the, the simplest explanation of the book um, is that it follows uh, several men who are sexually assaulted by an amorphous female serial rapist who uh, attacks them over the course of um, two years. So the book looks to um, and aims to sort of degender the conversation around se- sexual assaults and um, and have some really difficult conversations about um, how we can change the systemic violence uh, that people experience um, with with sexual violence uh, and it also you know, the other side of it is that it's a it's a novel that explores the mythologizing of women. So um, it's a book that looks at how we do that as a culture. Um, any woman in a position of power, whether she is good or bad, um, is mythologized to almost anthropomorphic levels in this sort of bizarre folklore um, way. So it explores some of that as well. Um, and then it also just looks at 
how I think the the culture, the world that we live in, the actual term culture in rape culture, how we are both complicit and complacent um, sometimes, whether we mean to be or not. Um, it's really sort of the book as a whole is is an indictment of uh, of our culture. I found it so interesting just even talking about the premise of the book. As part of our show, we ask everybody all the time what you're watching and what are you reading and what are you listening to and people because they are polite asked me well what are you reading and what are you listening to and then I would explain what it was that I was reading when I was reading your book and I got a lot of responses that really just reinforced what you were trying to say in the first place there were people who suggested that I was like some sick feminist who got off on reading about men getting raped that was uh one suggestion I more than one person asked me if it was possible for men to get raped by a woman they didn't think that that was even possible and just simply like why would you read that Callie did you get any feedback when you told people what you were reading well, I was reading it at a bar and this guy comes over and tries to like, hey, try and talk to me. And I was like, I'm reading something, you know, and then he's like, oh, you know, gave a little attitude and we go outside and we're both smoking a cigarette at the same time. And I was like, I'm sorry I was being rude earlier, but I was reading about a dude getting a broomstick stuck up his ass. So it's really not the time to be hitting on me right now. And he was like, what? And I was like, it's a book about. Uh, a woman that serial rapes men and he was like oh I had a friend that that happened to whoa and he was like and I had a friend in, in college who was raped when he was a virgin first time he drank so I was very aware it happened and it was just reassuring that no that there was somebody else I'm sure he was a sleazy trying to hit on me while I'm alone at the bar don't do that but at least he resonated with them and then we got into a really interesting conversation about how people don't take it serious when men come forward like my friend didn't tell anybody but me because he didn't want people to he knew that he would have to keep explaining that it could happen and that he wasn't full of shit. It's such a difficult dialogue. Well, talking about rape in general with most people is a difficult dialogue. The book is riveting. And I thought it was really interesting. The pop culture names that you dropped in, like when how the media was discussing the case and like the people that you picked up, like the fat Jew and bitch and like how each of them approached the conversation in like just a tweet. You could see so much about what people, how people would in theory digest that kind of news. I thought that was really eye opening and legit. Amber, have you encountered similar things that Callie and I have just in terms of like going into the world and people saying, Oh, you wrote a novel, what it's about. Have, have you felt like you've had to defend your vision just on premise alone? A lot. I think in some small ways, first of all, thank you. That's very kind of you, what you said about the book. Um, and I, I mean, that is my greatest hope is that conversations at bars, at places will happen exactly like that in those ways. Um, to me, that's part of the work that's being done. And just so you know, I also gave it to a couple male friends who um, uh, to look at the book before it went to my editor because I wanted, you know, a cis male perspective on it. I just wanted to know what their experience was like. Um, and the both of the men that I gave it to told me that they were sexually assaulted by a woman. Two very different stories, but so I've, I've also experienced that conversation. It's, it's kind of um, eye-opening. But, you know, I, I don't imagine that this book will be for everyone, and I think it will upset a lot of people, um, and that's okay. And that's all right. And and I think um, 
I think women have been a little upset with me and have felt like someone who's been so much in their corner. Um, why am I writing about uh, men's pain? Why am I providing space for them? And you know what? It's okay. Like they can process it however they need to process it. Um, but, you know, it's important for me that that the art we're creating right now in the world holds space for the most difficult conversations and the most difficult art we can possibly wrap our heads around, even if that's upsetting. Um, I think that there is no other way to, um, it's like, you know, I feel like we're not really getting to the center of how to change things um, as much as we possibly can. And the way to do that is to approach these conversations while well provocative and vivid and painful and very very real for for the majority of women the fact remains that most people in the culture we live in are tired of talking about it already and and like our stories have only just begun to be told but they're already tired of it they're already already talking about backlashes and witch hunts and you know Charlie Rose making his like crusty old senior citizen comeback. You know they're already talking about it. So my feeling is we need to resensitize the conversations. How do you do that? You have to switch the channels and you have to start to think in different perspectives. And you also just have to honor the true fact that sexual violence knows no class, it knows no gender, it knows no race. It affects all of us. And the more that we can come together and be inclusive about the conversation of sexual violence, the more we are asking the people who are involved in perpetuating sexual violence or silencing victims, we are at bringing them into the conversation because we are bringing their kind into the conversation. So my hope is that the book will do that and there's still going to be people who are upset. But I also feel like the women who might brush this off will also just really enjoy from, you know, just a purely entertainment value that the, the what I think is one of the most ugly, uh, volatile, upsetting female antagonists written in modern fiction. And I know that's a lot of me patting myself on the back, but I am <laughs> proud as shit about this strange, amorphous woman that I've created that I feel is the um, accumulation of all of our rage, all of our ugliness, all of our foulness, everything that is untapped in women that we are not allowed to access or touch. And that is what she represents. There's so much that I feel like somehow that I learned about rape culture by reading it. And as a feminist journalist for 17 years, I, I didn't really think that there was much more that I could learn. But I feel like outside of the facts, just emotional learning, um, and it just made me wonder if you sort of went in there knowing every single way in which rape culture affects all of our lives, men, women, and children, or if by putting yourself, the, the book is written from the perspectives of every single person who is violated by this woman. Um, and I was just wondering if when you put yourself into the narrative mindset of having to write in the voices of all these people, if you learned new things emotionally about rape culture that you perhaps didn't consider before once you got into the creative process or if you really went in with like a very solid agenda of like these are the ways that rape culture fucks with all of our lives I think it's the latter uh for me it was first of all it was really important to create characters that had a very unique 
perspectives and that really came from different backgrounds, represented different classes, um, you know, that, that the representation was fully there. You know, and that includes having having somebody who is really not likable. The Sebastian White character is is frankly an awful bigot. And it was important for me to also say this happens to people we don't like. You know, women we don't like, women we think are like, you know, nags and shrill and awful and terrible and, you know, that men don't like. Um, and so I wanted to also make that as complicated as possible. I think there's also another part I want to address, which is the character of Michael Parker, who's a trans character in the book. And purposefully, um, I spoke to two different friends um, uh about this particular character and you know the way in which I wanted to approach it I wanted to be very sensitive but I wanted to make sure that I was making a statement by writing this character um, and and that the statement was that I think more than any other minority the trans experience from what I understand is likely the worst and they are constantly um, having their stories taken away from them uh, you know they're constantly having no voice within any community, whether it's, um, you know, uh, cis or even queer. And, and so for me, it was really important to, to show that, to not, to not try to fix it and make it right in the novel and do what I wished culture would do, but to really show my fan base, which is predominantly white feminists, this is the experience. This is what it looks like. So in the novel, yes, everyone is written in first person. So you get really inside of their heads and their experience and their lives. And then Michael Parker's character is told strictly through tweets. It is, to me, um, the reality of the world we live in, that everyone on social media takes ownership of someone's story and life to the point where we actually don't even know who they are or how they feel or what their pain is or whether our intended activism is in inflicting further pain. And it was important to me that I stayed true to that and that we never got to meet this, that we never get to meet this character because that's the reality so many times of of what it's like and to me it's almost more it's more cruel when you're seeing these celebrities these people we love these movie stars and these rock stars and they're all tweeting you know these wonderful hashtags and terms like resist and having these IRL Facebook tours and wondering whether you know this is the real gender of the person or not and it becomes this big horrific you know bigoted vomit in the way that only social media can provide um, most particularly to to trans people. So that was the hardest part of the whole book. And there is also a person in this book who's a child who gets sexually assaulted. So, But that to me was way harder um, for several reasons. But it was important for me to show this is, this is the reality. And you think you're helping because you retweeted something? Like maybe just sit for a second and think if that's true are you trying to stop bullying or are you contributing to bullying what are you what are you really doing you need to really ask yourself those tough questions well you just mentioned the the hashtags that we are now in the midst of now I I believe I read that you started writing this book three years ago is that correct four years ago and it's coming out now just at the you know, I guess after the first initial frenzied wave of the hashtag me too, hashtag times up, hashtag, 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 
movement. Like one could say that it is perfectly timed. One could say that it is somehow imperfectly timed because that wave seems to have crashed and then sort of started to recede in the wake of, oh no, children are being ripped out of their family's arms in Texas, frenzy, march for our lives. So what is your experience of the timing of this book? Do you think that the world is finally ready for a work like this? Or do you think that the world will never be ready and we just got to fucking get ready? Well, I think we'll find out on Tuesday when the book comes out. Um, You know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say what people will be ready for, how they will receive this book. My hope is that as hard as it is to read, it's also, you know, I should say to listeners that it's also not without humor. um, Because most things that I do that are extremely dark have to provide some sense of that because that's the world I live in. Sometimes I can get through life and I can get through my depression through making fun of it. That's the way I exist. And so it was important for me to have a character in there that also that's how he was able to cope with his, frankly, getting a broomstick up shoved up his ass, as you said. But, you know, about that, about the hashtags and I mean, all of that stuff, it, it's so important to me and especially with the work we've done within Time's Up to um, to keep moving forward and to keep continuing to think in an action-oriented center of my brain. So to never get dissuaded by all of the terrible things that are going on, all the terrible things that people are saying, and the, you know, frankly, the cruelty of this world, even the cruelty by people we love who are on our side, who are cruel because they're angry in the moment or they're, you know, they're cruel because they've got a platform in which they can be cruel in. They're cruel because they don't see it's cruel. They don't understand it's cruel. Um, Their definition of cruelty might differ from the rest of the world's. And so for me, it's no matter what I do, even if it's, even if it's with mistakes, which is very often for me, I am constantly getting checked by, you know, sadly, but my girlfriends of color who are just like Amber. You, you look like an idiot. Take that down. Like you can't. That's not a good. For, it's been it's been a years and years. It's been decades of a learning experience for me to get to the place that I am now. But I still make mistakes, but I never do them out of cruelty. And that's to, to me the biggest part of it is that we have to continue to be action oriented. We have to practice self-care and we have to check our cruelty at the door, especially on social media. You know, we live in a world where people we love are taking their lives right in front of us you know, people we adore, and it's not okay. And the best thing that we can do is to teach others, even if we don't want to, even if that's not, you know, even if that's a burden we didn't sign up for, if we know how to do it, then do it. That's the work that everyone does, no matter who you are. And and to just make sure that you're not reharming someone in the process of being angry, because that's hypocritical. And that's the greatest work. And I find myself many times, you know, wanting to lash out but it's really important not to unless it's like to some you know disgusting crusty old man then that's fine you may you may hurt them you were instrumental in sort of getting this latest incarnation of the me too movement out there um you were there at the formation of the times up movement you have been writing op-eds in the times and time magazine and you're also a true Hollywood insider since birth. So I'm wondering if, you know, based on your insider status, are things changing for women in Hollywood, in entertainment, in the world? Are, is anything better as a result 
are we still waiting for the cash and prizes of all of this hard work? What is what is your perspective from the trenches of what we've managed to accomplish? I feel like we've all felt like we've been soaking in our collective anger, as you say, and you have this amazing literary character who seems to be the embodiment of that first crashing wave of the Me Too movement where we've just been like marinating in each other's pain and rejoicing in the fact that like all of these buried stories are now just shooting out of the ground like like oil, like geysers of black gold anguish and despair. What is your perspective on the inside of all of these movements, including Hollywood? What is the state of our female union? So I think that the the state of the female union, which I really love and I think that's a sidebar podcast we should all do (laughs) so I'll reapproach you with that idea later um you know I I think that there's a term that we use within time's up and that I've really loved which is um you know we're building a plane as we're flying it that's the reality of any movement you know this thing torpedoed out of nowhere it it began because a lot of women not just Hollywood women there's there's a real misunderstanding about that perpetuated by you know, some people that I love, but they have um, put a lot of information out there making it seem like it's just run by Hollywood actresses and it could not be further than the truth. The the Hollywood actresses have been um, instrumental in helping to amplify the message and get it out there, but we are, Time's Up consists of women across industries, truly, um, and also across ethnicities. This is, this is the most inclusive experience I have ever had in my entire life. And You know, it was, I think, last year that I decided that I would no longer do um, interviews or uh, press um, sit-down-wise anyway, or even conferences, panels, you know, women in power, unless it was, you know, 50-50. So unless there was real representation sitting alongside me, I don't feel comfortable doing it anymore. And the experience working within Time's Up, and that's a real motto for us, is like, you weren't, if you want to go get interviewed and talk about it, you have to have, you know, you have to be part of a pair and there has to be representation in that room it cannot just be you a white lady by yourself talking about power that's not the way it works and to me that was kind of like a I had a sigh and a real sense of freedom of like oh I think I wanted this and I didn't know that it was okay to say this is the line and this is the new rule and we are bringing these other women alongside us we're bringing them with us and we're not equivocating you know there's no there's no wavering on that on that line so you know the work is hard it's diligent I think the the it's been absolutely profound what the legal defense fund has done raising over 30 million dollars and working on over we had thousands and thousands of women uh you know and some men apply um and and they're working on over 300 cases and you know of of varying backgrounds from the restaurant industry to um to just so many more and to me that's that is action based and that what is most important to me is that I I can see that it's going to be a long run it's going to be a long haul but that at least something is happening the fact that we're sitting here right now even talking about it means that something is happening and Hollywood is changed forever even if we don't get the things that we want right away, it is changed. There are still a lot of problems. Someday when I write a memoir, I will tell you, you will know what this last year has been like for me on the inside it has been insane. And the pushback from so many men who run studios, who are agents, who are, you know, who are still in the business and who are really frankly scared 
um, is, is pretty, it's not shocking, but it's pretty disappointing. But at the same time, you also have women who are really scared because men are going, wait a minute, my opinion doesn't matter. I'm confused. And women are going, wait a minute, my opinion matters. I'm confused. And so you've got a real situation where there's, you know, the foundation has been struck and ripped open and and people are are wobbly. They're like trying to find their ground right now. They're trying to figure that out. And so to me, it's important. That's why I keep calling this a revolution. I refuse to call it a, a movement because it's important to remember that during revolutions, a lot of crazy shit happens. And yes, there are, um, you know, uh, a lot of things happen and that it really... It, it, it moves and sometimes we can't control it the way in which it moves and and the stories move and the change moves and the action moves and we need to be able to hold space for all of it in a big picture meaning no one can say this is what it has to be not one person not me not anybody it's important to keep saying how can this thing keep growing how can it keep going and how can we definitely put aside any language that's suggesting that we've gone too far because by the way we don't ever talk about that with climate change. Do you ever hear anybody say we've gone too far? Well, well but, you, but even on our side, on yeah. liberal sides, do you hear people saying it's gone too far? Yeah, not on climate change, but when it comes to women, to the bodies of women, we've gone too far. Thank you so much, Amber. You're the best. We love you so much. We love the book so much. And we're so happy that you came here to hang out with us. When we come back, I'm going to ask Callie. And Callie is going to ask me, what you watching? I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel. A podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And... I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it, and he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like, I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down, I'm like, what, what? And I go back on the phone, I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. 
And we're back. Callie, tell me, what is it that you have been watching? Queer Eye. Queer Eye, season two. Queer Eye, make you cry, dude. Episode one was so good. There was that lady, Tammy. Our lady this week, Tammy, she's 5'1", and pounds, because you don't tell a lady's weight or her age. Correct. (laughs) That's me. She is nominated by Gene. He's her friend and neighbor. If the world was full of Miss Tammy, we wouldn't have all the problems we have, that's for sure. I feel like God has given me a precious gift, and I'm on this planet not for myself, but for the betterment of humanity. She is sweet. And she was trying to do some, make a center for the community. Instead of getting help with her home, Tammy helps us the Fab Five will help with the finishing touches on the community center. All right. That lady is a gift. She's a gift. She's a joy. And I will tell you that that woman, Tammy, from episode one, season two of Queer Eye, has a publicist now who contacted me this week being like, do you want to interview Tammy from Queer Eye? And I was like, that lady from gay Georgia has a publicist for her tiny little community center? Like, I don't know what she's publicizing. I don't know, like what it is that I would interview her about. And yet watching her on that show, I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to Tammy. Let's get Tammy, Tammy, Tammy. I'm down for Tammy. Maybe we should just invite her on the podcast and see if she'll come to New York and get on the mic. Dude, she would, I'm sure just be glowing, radiant and make us all feel joy. Um, I watched this movie, Veronica on Netflix. Have you seen this one yet? No. So it's, it's a creepy Ouija board movie. It was Okay, I think I got a one good jump scare in it. Tell me why the internet is saying that half the people watching it have to turn it off halfway through because they're too terrified. What is wrong with me? Why am I not scared of fucking anything at all? <laughs> it's based on a true story, though. Um, in 1992, um, Madrid police investigated the mysterious death of a young girl who passed away in a hospital shortly after m- messing around with a Ouija board. So that's fascinating. But, I mean, it's a good, it's a good scary movie. I made it through. I can't tell you much because I'll give give too much shit away, but it's it's creepy. It's not turn the TV off creepy though. Um, I watched this four part Netflix documentary on the attacks on Paris. Heartbreaking. It is so sad. Watch it if you feel like crying your ass off. Um, so maybe I don't get scared, but I do have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, started watching the Kimmy Schmidt. I love the episode about the school play immersive theater bit. That was really funny. I thought that was the best moment slash episode of the season. Samesies, samesies, for real. Um, but I haven't gotten really much past that. I've been unpacking so and watching this trash fire that is our country. And then there was also that person ex ex extension. X, we'll just call him X. Anyway, he's this rapper, a SoundCloud artist um, that got murdered the other day. And I was having reading some really interesting conversations online because this guy was accused of some very horrific stuff. He was um, accused of beating his pregnant. Um, I'm not sure if it was his wife or his girlfriend. Um, very brutally. Uh, I don't want to go into the, all, all the details because it could be triggering to some people. And the court hadn't come up yet, the court case. Some people were, he was doing some different stuff with music. I didn't listen to any of his music because I wasn't going to give him the clicks until after the court case because I don't want to give clicks to a brutal rapist. But, um, oh, and he was also charged with um, witness tampering. And um, he apparently also beat up a gay man 
all very fucked up shit. So I think he's probably a shitty person from what I've read, but he hadn't gotten his day in court yet. So the debate people are having is whether you can mourn somebody's death, um, even if they're a brutal rapist. And that has been some interesting shit. Uh, one of my roommates, he's very, he was good friend, or well, not good friends. He was friends with the guy. So he's a little bit delicate about it. Uh, it's, it was an interesting conversation. I personally will continue not listening to his stuff because we still don't know if he's a rapist. I think it's a shame that he died when he was, he was only 20 when he got killed. So it's more of also, uh, do you, he's still a young black man that got murdered. But he's also could be a rapist. It's just, it's been an interesting dialogue, and that, my dear, is what I've been watching. Thank you for that. <laughs> I uh, think that what I've been watching can be summed up into two categories: new hip hop slash R and B albums and lesbian comedy. That's essentially it. Beyonce and Jay Z dropped their album "Everything Is Love" while I was getting burnt to a crisp at the Mermaid Parade in Coney Island. I came back from the beach and my timeline was blowing up. Happily in love. Haters, please forgive me. I let my wife write the will. I pray my children outlive me. I give my daughter my custom dresses. She gonna be litty. Vintage pieces by the time she hit the city. Yeah. Vintage frames. I see nobody quitting. And I downloaded Title just so I could listen to it. And... I like it. I would say that I don't love it as much as Lemonade, but it's hard for me to love anything on this earth as much as I love Lemonade. I listened to a couple songs while we were in the office. Oh, and I saw that video that they made. My takeaway is she was very very nice of Beyonce to let her husband be on the album with her. Yeah, like she she might get your song played on the radio station, <laughs> as they say. Like he definitely is like featuring on her tracks. That's real talk. I I do love the part on Ape Shit when she says, call my girls and put them all on a spaceship. <laughs> I feel like that's like squad goals. I want to be on that spaceship. I also like that song Summer. I feel like it's a perfect summer jam. You want to make love in the summertime. That's going to be a song of the summer. And I really also liked... When Blue Ivy shouted out to Sir and Rumi, I was like, "Oh!" Shout out to Rumi and Sir. Love Blue. But I definitely agree with you about Jay-Z's just kind of featuring in there. I'm annoyed that Migos is in everything. Why is Migos in Ape Shit? Like, I don't get it. I think they wrote Ape Shit. Did they really? Well, that gives that's me something. Why, that's why he's always going, woo, or whatever, that Migos does that all the time, yeah. so... I, I'm pretty sure that they're co-writers on that. I, I have to double check, but I think that's what I read. That's fair. I just feel like they're on everything. Like they were just sort of popping up on Cardi B's album, which I get it. I know that they have to. That's like she she can't not put them on there. But I'm like, why are they on everything? Get off. I love them. I'm here for Migos. And I love their outfits. Their outfits are fire. I enjoyed their outfits at the Met Ball very much. No tea, no shade on their Met Ball looks. However, I'm... I'm tired of their like whoop, whoop, <laughs> popping up on everything. But, you know, to each their own. I recommend Everything is Love. Everyone should listen to it. Um, the other hip hop infused with R&B tracks that I've been listening to are all on Big Frida's new EP, Third Ward Bounce. Uh-oh, uh-oh. 
make you move your butt cheeks to and fro, hither and yon. You're going to want to listen to them. Going to Sierra on Friday. Friday. Frida Friday. I'm torn because Cupcake is also here. Personally, I'd rather see Big Frida, but that's just me. I think I'm going to try to, because I know Frida, I'm going to text her, see what time she's on, and then try to do both. You're a cultural warrior. Um, I love Big Frida. I like the sort of rough-hewn, like, proto-bounce realness of earlier experiments. Like, I think some people might listen to Third War Bounce and be like, she's fancy now. Like, it's all produced and polished with, like, all these R&B singers on it. But I like both versions. I like both ways. There's also a really funny video for the song Rent, which is, like, if you have a man who's just, like, living in your house and not paying any rent, kick him out. Kick that good for nothing out. He don't pay no rent. I want to tell you that I've been avoiding Michael Jackson for years, even though he was a formative part of my life when I was young because he's a kid toucher. And I was like, you can't have this anymore. Wait a minute. It sounded like you just said he was important to your life because he was a kid. Okay. I've been avoiding him because he's a kid toucher. He was not a formative part of my life. Because he was a kid toucher. He was a formative part of my life because he was fucking Michael Jackson, okay? Because he moonwalked and, like, everyone lost their collective shit. That is why he was a formative part of my life. Also, I kissed his poster on my door every night before I went to bed. As you guys know, if you heard me on the Lusting After Celebs episode. But with all the kid touching, I had to take a break. But... I fell into a Michael Jackson K-hole. A lot of times when you like were very invested in something and you haven't listened to it or watched it in a long time and you come back to it, it's not as great as you remember. That happened to me with Fantasy Island. I was like, what the fuck? That happened to me with The Love Boat. I was like, this show was like so important to me and it's so terrible. Not true with Michael Jackson. Like, (laughs) he was the fucking best. He's still the best. Do you remember the time when we fell in love? That fucking video is so good. Wait, that's the one where he turns to sand, right? That's the one where he turns to sand. Iman is impossibly beautiful. Eddie Murphy goes chasing him all around. Magic Johnson is in there chasing him all around. It's so good. <laughs> I love that video. I think it was the bad video that's all filmed at Hoyt Skemmerhorn Station here in Brooklyn. So what's up? <laughs> Like, oh, my God, there's beat it with like the dude in like the white suit and they're like knife. Oh, man. Thriller. Do I have to? Oh. I'm not like other guys. Of course not. That's why I love you. No, I mean, I'm different. What are you talking about? Thank you.
And not even like the super oldies, like the later ones when he didn't have a nose anymore and he was in space with Janet Jackson. Like, this is why we can't have nice things. I, I'm not supposed to watch. I'm not supposed to like it. He had that terrible video where he was being so anti-Semitic and saying like, "Jew me, screw me, all you want to do me, kick me, kike me, all you want to fight me." And I'm like, stop being anti-Semitic. You're, it's just like piling more stuff on top of the kid touching. And yet I'm here for it. Make it stop. I don't know how to think or feel. Two, two things. One, this is very much like that ex-guy debate. Like, can you still support somebody artistically? Can you separate the artist from the art? But also, was he ever found guilty? I think we had this conversation before. I don't think he was charged. I don't think that they were ever able to prove it. I don't think anybody ever came forward and said he did. I think people have just come forward and said he did not. And you just said it was because he slept in a bed with a child. And I feel like babysitters do that. It doesn't mean anything happened. I don't know if you have to give yourself so much anxiety when it's not certain he's a, he's touching was touching babes. He's a total kid toucher. <laughs> Um, that being said, I'm going to segue into the lesbian comedy portion of what I've been watching. I saw a uh, comedian Cameron Esposito's comedy special. It's called Rape Jokes, and it's on her website, CameronEsposito.com. You can watch it for free or you can donate to watch it. And all the donations are going to benefit Rain, which is a survivors of sexual abuse um, charity. And it's raised a whole bunch of money for survivors of sexual abuse. So you probably will be moved by her Me Too stories that are interspersed with her comedic stylings to donate if you watch it. Will it finally end the debate over whether a rape joke can be funny? I don't know if it'll end the debate on whether rape jokes can be funny, but uh, it definitely contributes to the debate in ways that will make you go, hmm. Because I personally think they can be funny. I think we've had this conversation before. Because I think you have to... To like Amber Tamlin was talking about, when you deal with depression or tragedy, comedy is a resource. So if you say you can't make a joke about rape, what if that's the way, the best way for you to deal with the rape? So I, I think that nothing is off limits when it comes to jokes. But I'm also all for uh, women who have actually experienced that kind of diversity framing the jokes and weaving their own personal experiences into it and empowering themselves and others through it instead of some dude being like <laughs> rape well i think the most important part of my of the sentence is can a rape joke be funny a bad a, a joke that isn't funny is just not a funny joke no matter what the context is and as most people know by now in order for a rape joke to succeed the victim cannot be the punchline that's not that hard to wrap your mind around Correct. But also, I would say with both Cameron Esposito's special rape jokes and then the other comedy special I saw was Hannah Gadsby on Netflix. Her comedy special is called Nanette. And Hannah Gadsby also talked about sexual violence in her own life. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that either of them had rape jokes in them. I would say that they both had funny bright interesting entertaining women talking about difficult subject matter in ways that um will help people feel less alone 
which is not the same as a joke. But um, my luscious research assistant was watching me watch Hannah Gatsby, and he was like, you know, you haven't laughed once this whole time. This must not be very good. And I'm like, it's very good, and I don't have to laugh to be enjoying it. And he was like, well, it's supposed to be a comedy special. You know, I don't have such a narrow view of comedy that it has to be jokes or that it has to make me laugh. I feel like it's somewhere in the the world of monologue. And I appreciate her artistry. I had no idea who Hannah Gatsby was until our amazing, incredible, incandescent producer, Rachel Withers, told us at the end of our last episode that she was coming to America that her Netflix special is coming out, that we should know who she is because she's important. And then I was enlightened to her when that show actually came out and caught it right away and really enjoyed it. Um, The series on AMC Dietland just came out recently and I read the book. I really liked the novel that it's based on. And I'm only one episode in, but so far they are really... Uh, bringing the novel to life the woman that they have playing the main character plum kettle her name is joy nash and she's doing an amazing job the book slash the show is about a plus-size woman such as myself who works for a magazine such as myself and she is uh totally wrapped up in diet culture until she gets recruited by an underground feminist cabal that's like <laughs> trying to violently overthrow like the hegemony and uh, disrupt diet culture. And it really is something. <laughs> um, so I've been watching it on the AMC app. And for as long as they're showing those apps on the app, I'm going to try to keep up with it. I also finally watched the Pixar animated film Coco about Dia de los Muertos and it's so good and my luscious research assistant and I were both like within 10 minutes we're like this movie is emotionally manipulating us we resent all the manipulation but by the end we were just like sobbing in the bed watching the little boy go from the world of the dead to the world of the living with the help of all of his dead relatives on the day of the dead and it's so good it's really good I I forget when I saw it I can't believe I didn't talk about it when I did, but it was really good. And I really like that animation. I love the animation and it is goth as hell. Uh-huh. It's like all dead skeleton people all over the place. It was great. And I liked how the people who were plus size in life had like actual large bones and death. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you, I'm not really an animation person. Like I tend that tends to be a strike against a movie for me if it's animated that's just not my bag but so that's why I wasn't like so interested in watching it right away but I was like you know I've heard so many good things about it I'm gonna give it a try and Coco really is amazing so I believe it's on either Netflix or Amazon Prime I saw it on one of those and I really recommend it I think it's Netflix because I saw it and I ain't got that prime right on that is what I have been watching. Thanks, as always, to our intrepid producer, Rachel Withers. Especially today, Rachel helped us on the fly switch from non-working equipment to mostly sort of kind of almost probably working equipment. And that was amazing. Also, I this is the second time that I've been hanging out with the amazing Rachel today because earlier today... 
we checked out our new recording space. This is actually the very last time we'll be recording at Shea Terrence of The Listening Booth. The Listening Booth in its entirety is moving to Berlin. We're going to miss Terrence and his Listening Booth so very much. Thank you for allowing us to crash in your Beau Chateau for an entire year. Uh, Rachel, you're the greatest producer of all. Terrence, you're the greatest enabler of podcasting of all time. We're going to miss you so much. Um, And also, of course, thank you to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You are the wind beneath our wings. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You cannot find Callie on Twitter because... Because I only follow Chrissy Teagues. Because she only follows Chrissy Teagan. That's right. So don't even try it. Uh, she has a secret Twitter handle. You'll never find it out. Oh, somehow someone found me, even though I've never tweeted a twat. That's next level. Um, I have not found you. But you can email us both. I'm Emily Rams at bus.com. I'm Callie W at bus.com. And uh, you can learn more about this show at bus.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. We don't need to get on Queer Eye for people to know who we are. I feel like you guys can help us do that without five gay gentlemen making over our entire lives. Like you can get us to that next level without so much homosexual intervention. If you catch my drift, all you need to do is rate and review us on iTunes. And we may be as famous as Tammy. You never know. Give it a try. It really does help us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it until next time. Mwah.